Welcome to the podcast. Today is June 28th, 2020. And today we're going to talk about some uncomfortable truths about Bitcoin. Because Bitcoin has been in the news quite a bit recently. And you know, the first thing I want to bring up is this thing I would call the hodler bias. Meaning, if you want something to go up, you're going to be disagreeing with all the bearish facts. Because you tend to see early investors perform all kinds of mental gymnastics around the uncomfortable facts around Bitcoin. And whenever you see people like, you know, Max Kaiser proclaiming that Bitcoin's success is basically inevitable, or when you hear Peter Schiff's assertion that Bitcoin is going to go to zero soon, you should be skeptical. Now, nobody knows where exactly Bitcoin is going in terms of its price, and nobody knows exactly where we're heading in terms of our monetary future. But in terms of Bitcoin, it's probably not an all or nothing outcome, meaning Bitcoin's probably going to play some kind of a role here, but it's not obvious just what that role will be or if it's going to be a critical one at that. Now, I think it could remain as a smuggler's currency of sorts. It could remain as, you know, the currency of the dark web or the token of pirates and cypherpunks and so on. Who knows? But at this point, it's not going to find itself into the mainstream financial system anytime soon, I don't think. Much less is it going to find itself into the wallet of the common man. Now, I gave some Bitcoin to my mom as an experiment. And as I was telling her, you know, how to use it and so forth, she kind of just made the remark, okay, I've got it. Well, now what? I mean, I already have several normal accounts, so how is this any different? And I think it's a pretty profound and relevant question, actually. And it goes to show that the end consumer doesn't really need Bitcoin. I mean, currently, it doesn't really offer any benefits vis-a-vis -vis a normal bank account. But big picture, it does come with quite a few downsides. You know, keeping track of the lengthy addresses, the seed phrases, understanding the tax implications as you spend it, dealing with the enormous price fluctuations and the transaction fees and so forth. It's a lot of new hassles that you don't really need. But bigger picture though, all this energy usage to maintain the greater network, it's not really a productive use of resources. Bear with me for a second here as I explain this, because Bitcoin doesn't really store any of the energy. It doesn't really encapsulate any of the value the way that gold does. You know, we hear a lot about this securing of the network, but that's ultimately backward looking. It's a fait accompli, meaning, meaning that the energy that was spent yesterday does not guarantee the security of the network tomorrow. So the time and money that's spent securing the network doesn't really anchor the value of the token to anything. But what does bring value to Bitcoin is the speculation that will, it will become even more valuable tomorrow. But this derived value doesn't come from the cryptography, it doesn't come from the ledger aspect or the ease of transaction or anything like that. Because most hodlers, they don't really utilize any of these features. They are there as a justification for the price, but they don't really provide the underlying value because that's not what you, why you buy it. And before you troll me, by the way, I've held Bitcoin for longer than all of you pretty much, but I'm not blind to the shortcomings and I'm not afraid to point them out. Now, talking about gold here for one second, one argument that you hear about gold time after time is that gold is valuable due to the historical legacy. 
you know, it's been money for 5,000 years, so it'll be money tomorrow and so forth. Now, you could argue that history doesn't guarantee the future, but I'll take 5,000 years over a decade any day. And also, once you mined the gold, well, you have it. It's there. No further mining is required in order to perpetuate that value. And that's a key difference to Bitcoin right there. If you stop mining Bitcoin, you can't move your Bitcoin. Your Bitcoin address is just a string of numbers and letters, and that's it. It has no purpose, no use case. Game over. And this is, I think, why every form of money that the market has spun off has been a commodity. It's been salt, animal skin, silver, cigarettes, you name it. Now, if Bitcoin were to, to become this reserve currency, you would have the ultimate wealth inequality situation. I mean, you would have, you already have a massively top-heavy ownership structure in Bitcoin. We already have Bill Gates playing God with the world thanks to his enormous wealth. Now imagine if you had trillionaires in the future. Now most Bitcoiners kind of ignore this fact as long as they're still in the running to striking it rich as a hodler. Now I've long noticed this call it moral bankruptcy among people in the banking sector, but more recently also in the crypto space, actually. Now, I've worked with a number of people who came from finance into media, and actually those skills translate very well. I mean, many people who had quantitative roles in finance transition quite easily into digital media because um, they are mathsy, analytical, and so forth, numbers-driven. And of course, most bankers come from, you know, Ivy League backgrounds, but a surprising number of them actually haven't really heard of economists such as Hayek, Rothbard, Mises, and so forth, or, you know, any of the Austrian school of economics altogether, pretty much. I guess it's almost by design. And anyway, the very few that do see, see through the indoctrination, I don't think they really care enough to speak about the destructiveness of the current system. And with Bitcoin, with the hodlers, you're starting to see a similar kind of economic nihilism you know just play the game and it's off to the moon and everybody else be damned i mean it's a pretty it's actually a pretty similar ethos to that of davy day trader you know david portnoy who has recently become a bit of a celebrity on the stock trading scene so basically what he's doing is he's goading all these new retail investors into trading stocks going long stocks and of course he knows full well that the this recent market rally is nothing but a Fed-driven sugar rush, but that's the only game in town. Now, typically, the retail investor stampede tends to represent the very last stages of a stock market bubble. Now, getting back to Bitcoin, while we're definitely past the euphoria stage that peaked in 2017, I think there's still quite a lot of unwarranted hype in this sector. And I think what's going to deflate the remainder of this bubble is going to be fraud. Now, let me explain here. I mean, in, in any late stage cycle, the frauds ultimately become apparent. You know, Buffett used to say that when the tide goes out, you see you swimming naked. But in this instance, I'd say when the tide goes out, the sharks are stranded. In 2001, you had Enron. In 2008, you had Madoff. In 2020, you had Wirecard. And next up, you're probably going to have Tether. And after that, Tesla and so forth. Now, speaking of fraud... You've probably heard of this company called Wirecard, filing for insolvency in Germany just the other day. Now, Wirecard, it was this company that they offered electronic payments transactions and risk management and all the other auxiliary services that come with it. They also issued physical debit cards and processed uh, debit card transactions. 
Now, just last week, Wirecard disclosed a almost 2 billion euro hole in its accounts. Now, you've had pretty serious allegations going back years of accounting fraud and so forth. So it's really taking a long time for the chickens to come home to roost. And back in 2019, actually, Wirecard actually sued the Financial Times because they were reporting that Wirecard executives were falsifying their accounts and they were conducting money laundering and so forth. Now, it turned out that all that was true. How does this relate to crypto, though? Well, it's already had knock-on effects in the crypto space because a lot of the crypto debit cards actually used Wirecard for their transaction processing. Now, the fate of Wirecard, I think, harkens back to the old story of the stablecoin Tether. Now, if you're into crypto, you'll remember that they were hacked a few years ago, and it was widely suspected that all their dollar collateral was no longer there. And this is also, by the way, a suspicion that's been raised by the New York Times. And Tether has still to this day failed to provide an outright legitimate audit of their reserves. So they're a stablecoin, but their reserves are questionable, to say the least. Now, if you want to buy Tether at scale, the only way to transmit dollar currency into Tether is through an offshore Bahamas bank. Now, call me skeptical, but... Are we to believe that institutional-sized investors have funneled in you know, $10 billion into Tether through some offshore dodgy bank while Tether fails to provide any kind of legitimate audit by any established decent auditor? You know, maybe a more logical interpretation of this Tether situation is that Tether are printing money to its heart's content, and they are issuing these Tether tokens willy-nilly, and they're using it to buy Bitcoin and other currencies just to enrich themselves and to artificially inflate the price of Bitcoin. I mean, that's the Occam's razor, if you ask me. And by the way, you remember how Mt. Gox, you know, one of those first Bitcoin exchanges, how that turned out to be a total fraud? And I was actually pointing this out as early as 2013, and of course, people's reaction to, to those remarks, they were very negative and they were actually quite angry sometimes and they lost their money. And Mt. Gox was pretty big, too big to be a fraud. People assume that it just can't be the case. Now, I remember actually I was dealing with their customer service department and I thought that their emails were amateurish to say the least. And they couldn't even put together a decent website, much like Tether, by the way. Now, people have already had the same kind of reaction to Tether when you, whenever you question what they're up to. In any event, if it turns out that Tether is a giant shell game, a Ponzi scheme, then of course, this is going to absolutely cause Bitcoin to implode in terms of price. Because here's the problem. More than half of all the trading that goes on on exchanges is between Tether and Bitcoin. It's not between dollars and Bitcoin. So Tether has absolutely taken control of the crypto space. It's just stuck their tentacles everywhere. Because it doesn't just end with Bitcoin. Tether is also used for Tether Litecoin, Tether Ethereum, and so forth. Now, if you suddenly see a divergence between the price of Bitcoin and Tether, or if you see Tether kind of breaking its $1 peg, you're going to know that the jig is up. I mean, this could take some time, but I think it will happen. And by the way... Getting back to the beginning here, we are nowhere near ready for large-scale Bitcoin adoption yet. In fact, we're not really seeing any signs of it being used for any kind of 
pragmatic reasons. And I actually anticipate that we may, may well see a very long drawn out bear market in cryptos before we ever see the light of dawn again, if we do. Now still, I'm going to be keeping a position, I've had it for a long, long time, but it is at this point directly proportionate to my conviction that this project will succeed. Now what do you think? Are you holding Tether? Are you comfortable holding Tether? What do you think is going to happen if and when that peg finally breaks, if it turns out that Tether doesn't have any collateral? Do you have any further inconvenient truths to share about Bitcoin? Let me know. You can comment wherever you're listening from, or you can send me an email on podcast at nyman.media. That's podcast at nyman.media. Thanks for listening.